Episode 54, Empowering People in the Courtroom, my conversation with Courtroom 5's co-founder and CEO, Sonia Ebron. I'm Michael D. Eisenberg. I'm the Tech Savvy Lawyer, blogging at the techsavvylawyer.page and host of the techsavvylawyer.page podcast. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing lawyers, judges, and others in the area of law to talk about where they see lawyers new and seasoned, taking advantage of technology in their legal work, and how all lawyers can utilize technology to better their practice, improve their services to their clients, and enhance their own lives. My next guest is Sonia Ebron. Sonia is a PhD electrical engineer and former college professor with a background in utilities and artificial intelligence. She has represented herself in court numerous times. As CEO of Courtroom 5, Sonia has made it her personal mission to empower people to represent themselves effectively in court. She serves on the Board of Responsive Law, a national advocacy organization focused on the rights of legal consumers. She also serves on Leaders Council of the Legal Services Corporation, the nation's primary funding source for legal aid programs. She is a founding member of the Justice Technology Association, a trade organization for direct-to-consumer legal tech companies and nonprofits. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Just a quick shout-out before we start. Are you enjoying the TechSavvyLayer.page podcast? Consider giving us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast feeds. Also, consider buying us a cup of coffee or two from the link on our blog to help defray some of the production costs. Thanks, and again, enjoy. Sonia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Michael. I appreciate you being here. And to get things started, what is your current tech setup? Well, I use a MacBook Air. Okay. Um, may I ask what, what version? What year? Um, I bought it last year. So I'm guessing you have an M1 chip. I, I, I would bet you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I've got um, a microphone, a headset. Uh, um, by whom? Uh, let's see. This is a Movo. Movo. Okay. I have uh, a ring light. I do some podcasting these days. So got a ring light. Nearby. Well, wait, 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 wait. If you're doing podcasting, as I was uh, thankfully a guest on your on your podcast last week or about a week and a half ago, you don't need a ring light for podcasting. We do uh, a video a casting. Yeah, it's video casting. A podcast uh, okay. is what ends up. We we broadcast live. Okay, um, so you do a video cast too. Yeah. So you, so you do it. Okay. So because remember, this is a podcast. <laughs> you know, the video won't be shown. So forgive me, I am teasing you just a little. Sorry, okay. sorry about that. We, you know, we we actually we've been doing it about uh, seven weeks now. I think we're into week eight on this. We do it five days a week. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, and we had a. A debate my startup founder and i all right uh, a big debate about whether to broadcast video certainly whether to do it live mm-hmm. or whether to just record a podcast and i want out i argue for live uh the traffic tends to grow a little faster i think okay. there's something about a live uh video uh broadcast that's just you know it's catnip uh to- okay just really attractive and so yeah i think we're you know we've seen our traffic grow 25 percent in just a few a uh, few weeks here uh, so. i i may have to look into that because i'm trying to grow my traffic just as well and perhaps i'm learning a little something this you know it's always so hard to get people you know especially consistently i think you broadcast at one o'clock 
Uh, one o'clock uh, Pacific. That's right. Every oh Pacific. Week. Okay, so that's four o'clock Eastern. That's right. That's now, right. forgive me. Aren't you're on the East Coast? Aren't you? I'm on the East Coast in Durham, North Carolina. Correct. And your partner, your, your also, podcasting partner, is yes, also in in Durham, North Carolina. Oh, yes. excuse me. So, so if I may ask, why did you say Pacific? Because you said one o'clock. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> my bad. My apologies. <laughs> oh no, no, no need. We're teasing. <laughs> So, Mobile makes your mic. Who makes your headphones? I believe. Well, let me check. Sony makes my headphones. Okay. And you said you use a ring light. Is it one of those big ones? Is it one of those little attach-ons? No, it's a big one. Uh, it is a huge monstrosity uh, at the corner of my desk, hovering over me uh, and shining light on the whole room. This is a relatively tiny room I'm in. Uh, so I get, yeah, just wonderful for video um, broadcasting. Well, so then if I may ask from a, a content creation perspective, why is it not in front of you? There's no room. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's a good reason. I, cause you know, I've got, I have two loom cube cameras uh, flanking me left and right. Cause one, I didn't want to like ride on my eyes. Um, although I, I, and the other problem is I don't have room to put like a ring camera behind my desk unless I pull my desk out a little bit, which I'm not sure I really want to do in what is my very small office here. I'm in the same situation, exactly. Mm -hmm. And this light is so big, it really wouldn't matter where it was in the room, right? It puts out some lumens here. Although there's a thought, I wonder if there's a way to mount it from your ceiling. I bet there is. That That's would actually, because, well, you know, for my mic, I, I use uh, a Blue Yeti and... I bought an arm, a spring arm to mount, you know, you can mount them to your desk, you know, yeah. with a clamp, but I don't want to do it to my desk because it's a glass top uh, desk. It's a, it's a solid glass top desk. It's like a half an inch thick, but I still don't want to risk ruining the glass. So I got one for the wall. So it's, I'm going to mount it to the wall and hopefully that'll work. But that would be actually a pretty cool idea to be able to mount certain things just to the ceiling to help this get things yeah. you know, out, out of the way and off your desk. It could happen. This thing is actually on a tripod, so I could mm -hmm. I could um, mount it very high and have it right above me if I wanted to, but it works okay. I won't bother it. I'm going to have to look on Amazon and see what I can get. There you go. There you well, go. tell us, what else you got in the office tech-wise? Oh, my. There's uh, an iPad here uh, mm -hmm. that I use quite frequently for uh, certain meetings. There's a speaker set because I like to have music um, okay. occasionally. And so who's um, the speaker maker? Speaker is like iHome. Um, okay. I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with them, but I probably picked it up at a, um, a Goodwill store or okay. it's, it's a used uh, item. Let's see. There is an old postal meter here that I have not <laughs> <laughs> used in quite some time. I don't know how that ended up on my desk and it's still uh, occupying space here. There's a uh, internet uh, Wi-Fi booster. Uh, okay. Made by whom? Uh, looks like AT&T. Okay. Um, so internet. it came with the uh, came with the, the internet? I think so. I think okay. so. You know, you should well. check you should check back with them because if you're leasing that device, you know, they always make upgrades every year or two, and you should be able to exchange it for free. Interesting. So, I don't think I am. 
leasing. I don't think I pay for it. They probably just brought it along with the installation of the service sometime my, ago. My guess is you're paying it through your monthly fee. Yep, yep. I don't realize it, but I would just give them a call, say, hey, I've got this device. Has it been upgraded since, you know, is it part of my monthly fees? Do I have to purchase it? And obviously, if you have to purchase it, you may not want to do that. But if you're already leasing it, you might want to see if you can get a free upgrade and perhaps a better signal. I'm going to take your advice uh, on that for sure. I've got a couple of printers uh, here, laser printers. Who's um, your Who's your brand? Uh, HP and Brother. Okay. And between the two, which do you like? HP. And what are the models? That I don't know. Uh, I think one is truer laser than the other one, which is uh, sort of a faux laser. But I bet, I'm thinking it is probably... Those little cartridges, the ink drop or something like that. Well, that's not a laser printer. That's a that's an inkjet for yeah, sure. Agreed. But, uh, but when it comes to uh, cartridge replacement, I encourage you to take a uh, look at a site called Inkjet Superstore. Mm-hmm. They have it anywhere between half to a quarter of the prices. They are quote unquote generic, but uh, in the 15 years I've been using them, I've only had one bad toner that I can Excellent. recall. And it it really does save money and they work just as well. But that's my two cents. Great. And and does your printer, is it automatic double side printing? Yes. Which is for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Which I love. Um, And uh, what else? I think that's it. I count my chalkboard as a critical piece of technology. What's a chalkboard? (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm an old school academic. Uh, I mm-hmm. can't. Um, I can't engage certain thoughts without some chalk on my fingers. It's just okay. That's fair okay. enough. Fair enough. Yeah, well, so that, that being works. said, I want to go back a little bit. Your iPad. Yeah. What version is it? It's fairly recent. I'm not sure. Fairly. So it's an iPad Air, an iPad Pro, an iPad. Oh, an iPad, just a tablet, right? There are several models. There's the iPad Air, the iPad Mini. I believe this is an iPad, and then there's an iPad Pro. I want to say it's the iPad Pro. I went big on it. Okay. When um, I did you get it? More space. I bought it directly from Apple. No, when? Oh, it's been a year, year and a half, maybe. So I'm betting you have an M1 chip in there, too. I'll bet. I will bet. Do you have an Apple Pencil? Yes, I do. Okay. Do you use it? Yes, I do. Do you like it? I love it. Great. What is your... Favorite three, what are your favorite three programs on the iPad with your Apple Pencil? And is oh. it an Apple Pencil, if I may, if it's a, is it an Apple Pencil one or two? That I don't know. If I, it's fairly, fairly recent, I'm guessing it's a two. No idea. I use okay. it primarily to sign documents. Okay. Yeah. I don't do much drawing, although I know that those capabilities are there. Uh, I use it primarily to physically sign, electronically physically sign. And, and you don't have like an electronic uh, signature through like uh, PandaDoc or DocuSign? I could. I have access to DocuSign. Okay. Sometimes I but want you, to sign a document. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, you talk about, you know, like having chalk in your hand. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you were looking at any ways to sort of translate that over to an iPad. No, no. There's something about chalk on your fingers. I'm telling okay, you. Okay. Okay. There's magic there. Well, right? th- there's one thing I just want to share with you that on an iPad, there's a special like laminate screen that you can put on your iPad so that when you are drawing on it, it feels more like a pencil on yeah. paper. Yeah. Didn't know if you had an interest in that. 
Like, you know, I'm just trying to kind of convince you to go electronic, maybe a little <laughs> bit more. I'm never leaving, Joel. But I have seen, and actually, I tried to use one of those. I think there's a a remark a product called Remarkable. Or yeah, something. yeah, I've seen that. I've yeah, seen that. Yeah. I try, and, I tried it. I, I didn't like it. Um, why not? I, I, you know, I have notebooks. Um, in fact, I've actually written uh, scholarly articles on the power of writing mm-hmm. uh, notes. You're right. That you retain them in your brain and use mm-hmm. them in your brain a different way than typing, for instance. And so I have um, notebooks uh, from. I think there's Wave technology and stuff. You know that allows you to erase the notebook afterwards. Yeah, love it. I bought it specifically for for the purpose of capturing uh, my notes in writing, but I don't like doing that on an iPad. I, I don't. Okay. It's a different kind of experience. And so, but you like it on the Remarkable. I don't like it on the Remarkable. Oh, no. you don't like it there either. Okay. Yeah, I don't like the Remarkable, but I have Rocket Books. That's the that's the brand. Okay, I'm, I'm familiar with that one. Yeah, yeah, those I love. Why um, Why is that different? than remarkable or how is it different it's a truer uh it is a truer experience this is very close to paper I, mm-hmm. I, I think i think it is paper it's the ink that makes a difference with the rock okay. right so there is a laminate covering on the sheets of paper um but the ink itself if you heat it up removes the ink okay okay so yeah yeah so you've got um essentially a blank uh sheet of paper you can read and, and- can you send that to a computer? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you can yeah. have that written yeah. down and like not lose it and yeah. capture it still. Got it. Yeah. Well, I have to ask, and yes, I understand the general principle that when you write something down, you're more likely to retain it than say if you type. Yeah. However, what do you say to someone who is a much more proficient typist than they are in handwriting? I think they lose something. I mean, there is value certainly in having proficiency and the ability to type, but you know, you get what you get from typing. You get a different thing from writing. And okay. so I would, I would, you know, if they get what they get, look, I'm not recommending it, but I know from experience and from uh, forcing other people <laughs> as a college professor, I was able to force other people to, uh, to do some writing. I, and I, you know, saw the results. It, it makes a difference. It makes such a difference for me when I'm taking tests, if I have to handwrite it, which slows me down and granted yes it makes you think but my hand tends to get cramped after 15 30 minutes and when you got to sit there for a two three four hour exam you know let's call it the bar yeah um <laughs> it's a problem but yeah. when you can you know back in my heyday i was typing about 120 words a minute yeah you know it's the only way i can think you know people think while they're you know they're they're writing stuff down if i'm not like typing while i'm talking to someone in the sense of you know trying to get ideas down you know it's a mess you know writing has a dual purpose right. um, you can be on the receiving end where you're just capturing something in the environment that you want to store uh and then there is performance writing for instance the bar exam where you're trying to express yourself um and so i'm speaking specifically about the re- the receptive part of right 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 where you're just trying to capture and i think the way you capture it in your brain as you're writing is different than if you were capturing it uh by taking notes on a computer that is definitely food for thought and a good lesson well let's get into the questions yes and question number one what are three areas of technology attorneys should be looking at when it comes to assisting those with lesser means when i think about lawyers and and their clients these days the ones with lesser means are folks that generally aren't able to retain a, a lawyer. 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I just got back from Clio. You know, you and I were in Nashville mm-hmm. uh, together. And the Legal Trends report uh, shows that the average hourly rate for a lawyer these days is $313, is what I recall. And for for litigation, for folks that need a lawyer for litigation in particular, you know, that can rack up pretty, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Just outstrip the means of of most Americans, and so we tend to think of folks with lesser means as people near the poverty line. You know, folks eligible for legal aid, perhaps. But in terms of this lawyer client relationship, uh, folks with lesser means is the is the bulk of the market right these days. It's the average uh, American, and so you're talking about people who might be more educated more tech savvy, more able to do some of the work themselves than your typical very low uh, income person, right? And so to answer your question, I think what lawyers might want to think about is minimizing the cost, reducing the friction, if you will, in the lawyer-client engagement. There's no reason for somebody to have to travel to your office right? the Zoom era. Right. And it's going to be, you know, less costly uh, for both the lawyer and the client to be able to engage, you know, remotely. Uh, That's one thing. Also, I think the prevalence of legal information on the Internet is, number one, driving more and more people to try to do it themselves, however foolhardy that may be. Right. But it might be helpful for lawyers to better uh, just just uh, be aware of some of those uh, resources on the internet so that they can work with their clients and using that information properly. Uh, so you definitely want to have a good understanding of what is available in terms of legal information on the internet. Let's pick apart your, your answer a little bit in the sense of, you know, not in a mean way, but just to discuss it a little more. So I run a international law practice. I represent veterans and military members and uh, their families from all across the world. I get calls from everywhere. And, you know, I like the idea, you know, we talk about you try to make things more remote, but sometimes you come across someone who doesn't have a computer or doesn't have the technological savvy of being able to use a computer, whether it's for Zoom or to sign an engagement letter through, you know, Acrobat or DocuSign or PandaDoc, just to name a few. And for the past 16 plus years that I've been doing business, you know, I typically have my initial consults and most of my client relations by phone, you know, typical phone. But what do you say to attorneys to help those, again, with with lower economic means who perhaps can't afford a smartphone or doesn't have the wherewithal for using a computer? It's tough, uh, you know, to serve someone who doesn't have, you know, what many people consider basic technology devices uh, mm-hmm. available to them. You know, you you have to um, you have to do what you have to do. You have to serve the people you choose to serve, right? Right. Um, but what happens? But you know, you talk about three hundred dollars an hour for attorneys on average, and I think in today's world, the way that technology is, you couldn't run a, a practice efficiently without technology. And so that may then turn off attorneys from taking on those clients. Does that make any sense? Yes. Yes. So how, how would you encourage attorneys to help make that bridge a little bit longer in order to reach those of lesser means? Yeah, absolutely. 
I'm not sure that there's a, a solution to that, Michael. I, again, at Courtroom 5, obviously, our solutions are only available uh, mm-hmm. on the internet, right? And so you've got to have some device that gets you access to the internet to use right. our services. Right. I mean, there's the library in many areas. Of course, libraries are in a bit of disarray right now, yeah. you know, with funding and other ongoing political issues that we just won't get into right now. And, you know, unfortunately, that becomes a problem, whether it's someone like myself who who runs a low bono practice and other attorneys who may be willing to take certain people on, you know, as either low bono or pro bono, that it makes it challenging for them. It gets harder and harder, especially when you have issues out in the rural areas where they don't have great internet presence and also the equipment, whether it's at home, personal use, perhaps access at work. But then again, if you're doing a low pay job at a fast food restaurant or hard labor, you're not going to have access to the internet or, you know, those devices. So I'm just trying to figure out how to make that bridge because, you know, if I get a call from, you know, Seattle and they need my help and I realize I can help them, then, you know, somehow we got to figure out how to get that connected. Now, of course, I can easily print things and mail it to them, but that slows things down and can become costly. You know, it just is. the shipping, the yeah. shipping back and forth. It, it, it's absolutely difficult, and I have had uh, conversations locally and uh, mm-hmm. nationally with um, with librarians and people trying to provide mm-hmm. um, help librarians provide legal services. Folks with fees yeah. for um, for legal services often end up in front of a librarian, right? It right. is difficult, though. Uh, but to- but also for I'm sorry. It's difficult to facilitate an interaction between a client and a lawyer in, in a library. Uh, there's, you know, sensitive issues or privacy issues. Right. We have rooms right. Uh, available, but they're very limited. Right. right. Most library branches. So, like, like I said, I don't have a good, I don't have a good solution uh, to folks who don't have access to the internet reliably. Pardon the interruption. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Consider sharing this show with others, and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your download feeds. If you're listening directly from our blog, consider buying us a cup of coffee or two from the link on our blog to help defray some of the production costs. Thanks again and enjoy. What are three things attorneys can learn from platforms like Courtroom 5 to help serve those with lesser means? I guess I connect um, the answer to uh, one of the previous ones, which is uh, there's so much information uh, of a legal nature on the internet that is encouraging Mm -hmm. uh, folks who can't generally afford a lawyer Mm -hmm. uh, to to try to do some of the work themselves. That's our our goal, certainly at Courtroom 5, is to provide curated uh, just-in-time uh, legal information to people who are doing it themselves. But we are also working with lawyers to provide limited scope services uh, to some of these, uh, to some of our customers who need them. And in that regard, I think that lawyers, the lawyers we're working with uh, mm-hmm. are also learning to try to educate the clients that they can't serve otherwise in, in very similar to the ways that we do it automatically. And so, again, if there are ways for lawyers to help their clients curate some of the information that they're finding online, be a coach, uh, mm-hmm. for them, you know, help them understand just the overwhelming amount of, of legal information available and how, how to use it properly, right? Um, then well, I like think my, yeah. One of my go-to sites uh, and conversations like this, if you will, DIY, is Hello Divorce. 
out in California, I think now in New York, and you know, they sort of have like a tiered structure of like do it yourself, a little bit of hand holding, or a lot of hand holding. And of course, just the do it yourself, you, you still have to pay, but it's not the fees of you know hiring an attorney per se. But if you need help from an attorney, you can then get it a little bit later, and then so on. Hello, divorce has a, a fantastic product in in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly, uh, exactly what I recommend, and what we're doing at Courtroom Five uh, as well. Although I think Hello Divorce has a broader uh, reach already than we do, and ours is far outside of divorce. But nonetheless, that is the model here, mm-hmm. right? Helping people who will not hire a lawyer for whatever reasons for full representation, helping those people access limited scope services by educating them, uh, providing just a, uh, the opportunity to properly specify tasks uh, for a lawyer willing to provide them un- uh, unbundled services. So we got provide information, limited scope, and tiered services. I think we nailed that one. I think so. so. Let, let's go on to three. What are your top three concerns regarding courtroom five raising UPL scrutiny? I am a lot less concerned about uh, UPL these days than I than I was when we got started with courtroom five. I, mm-hmm. You know, I think we've all seen just a tremendous um, awareness of the need to reform the regulatory environment. Uh, certainly, some states have taken that farther than others, and I'm you know I, I applaud those efforts. Uh, certainly, I do think there are. You know, we're clear that we're on the right side of of the law, but there are some what I'll call protectionist incentives within right. some state bars uh, and leanings within the state bars that when you see a, a uh, technology like Courtroom 5 or like some of the other uh, justice tech solutions, you, you know, you might be concerned that we are taking money out of lawyers' pockets. And many lawyers, as you know, already have a really tough time uh, finding paying clients. And so I think for a regulator that is um, uh, more attentive than I think is necessary to the needs of the guild, the legal guild, mm-hmm. and you know there, you know there, there might be some uh, overzealous uh, prosecution of UPL where we're concerned. One uh, example, frankly, we haven't had uh, any significant challenges on UPL yet, and we hope to avoid that. We fly straight, clear. We're proactive with state bars, but. There have been questions about our use of artificial intelligence. Uh, Our technology tracks the progress of a user's case and points them at each step to uh, some training, some information that might be relevant to the step they're in, the the, the place in their uh, case that, you know, where that information might be appropriate. There's far more to the solution. We provide that training. Again, it's legal information. It's not advice. We don't tell people what to do. Right. But we do help them understand what might be relevant at the discovery part of a case or, you know, at the pretrial stage or if you're on appeal, don't try to retry. The right. Case. But you're not taking their facts and applying right. it to the not law. Not at all. This is, right. you know, people with a wide variety of facts. Again, we're not uh, we're agnostic on uh, on claim types. even, Right. Right. Uh, people with a wide variety of facts get exactly the same uh, pointers to relevant training. It's really about where in the civil procedure they are, you know, where in the flow of litigation uh, they are. But nonetheless, an overzealous regulator might say, oh, wait a minute, I want to take a closer look at that. We've got open books. 
you know, folks can sign up for free uh, access to our product at any time uh, and just see what's under the hood there. So we don't worry about this at all. But again, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's new, it's innovative uh, and something that might cause some concern, uh, again, with an overzealous regulator. What are three things that Courtroom 5 and other platforms like Courtroom 5, what are three things that they clearly can't do? What should the user of Courtroom 5 be cognizant of that it's not going to solve for you? So this may tell attorneys, this is where I can step in and help. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't know of, of any other platforms like Courtroom 5. Uh, we walk our users from soup to nuts through the litigation process right, and right. actually mimic the behavior of lawyers in the process. But having said that, there is a, a broad uh, industry sector, justice tech solutions, do-it-yourself uh, mm-hmm. legal tech solutions, uh, where we're all concerned about uh, regulators who may not understand that you know we're providing legal information and assistance outside of UPL and fee splitting and all of those other uh, sort of concerns. What we can't do then, we can't provide legal advice. And right. there are some folks who don't quite understand the uh, dichotomy, in my opinion, between legal advice and legal information. Right. Solid line there. You pointed it out yourself. We don't speak to specific facts. Right. right? Okay. Uh, you know, but that that's one thing. We can't give advice. Right. Secondly, we can't split the fees. Right. And so when the lawyers are working on courtroom five to serve their clients, you know, they get paid up front by the client. Right. Right. A hundred percent of that uh, goes to the lawyer. Right. Uh, in, in At least at, at courtroom five. Uh, we do, however, process the credit cards of the user and right. other incidentals. And so we recoup that cost as a part of the transaction, but we don't, we don't try to split the fees. That's prohibited. Okay. Right. But, but I thought in some States that depending on the referral source that, you know, if it's a company that refers, you know, clients to attorneys that they can't split fees, but they can pay certain marketing incidentals. Well, not even markets, but, but some sort of payment. Yeah, you know, exactly. uh, per client. I, I I don't get too involved with that, so I, I'm speaking out of ignorance. But, no worries. But I, you know, I, I'm I'm sli- I'm slightly familiar with it because you know of just legal ethics in general. But so and you you can't do that, or you you're you're refraining from doing that. We don't actually refer uh, clients to lawyers. Uh, as a matter of fact, in many instances, lawyers are referring. Uh, potential clients to us in order okay. to maximize them, right? And so we don't have to to worry about that very much. We do maintain a directory of those lawyers uh, for folks that aren't preferred by a lawyer. So, for instance, if you're in New York, um, we have lawyers in in New York uh, providing unbundled services. You know, again, they've referred clients to us uh, and are serving them uh, on our platform, but. If we have a New York uh, customer in that lawyer's practice area, right, right. Uh, they might hire that lawyer for unbundled services as well. We don't necessarily see that as a referral, just the maintenance of. Uh, Fair and, enough. Okay. Yeah. 
but, cool. but you know, yeah. So we, we don't, we don't worry about it. Like I said, as I've just explained, we are on the right side of the law, but it's a new model. It's something that is unfamiliar to, I think, most regulators. Uh, and while we have proactive conversations with a number of state bars, there might be some who are like, what is happening here? <laughs> right. And we are happy to have those conversations with them uh, as well. Uh, but our focus has been on closing the justice gap. Uh, helping millions of folks who don't have access to full representation and making the promise of unbundled services a real one. So depending on the case, you know, you get calls, initial potential client calls, and you can talk about their case, generally speaking. You can talk about how the law generally applies. And, you know, a lot of times you come at the end where it's sort of like, you know, either you can hire me or not. And you know, obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but, you know, like, I'll get the, well, you know, do I have a case? And typically, my response will be is, well, you know, I'd like to take you on as a client. So inherently, you should have the idea that, yeah, I think you have a case or that you may have a case, but that's also not a guarantee. Because, you know, I can't give legal advice that, you know, you don't have a case kind of thing, or, you know, you do have a case, it's a guarantee. So that's, you know, the hint is whether or not the attorney is willing to take on the client. Now, on the other hand, sometimes instead of getting, you know, hiring and not hiring you, it's, well, what are the next steps I need to do? We can't really tell the person that because they're not the attorney yet. And on the flip side, sometimes, you know, those potential clients calls can be a little testy. I'm not saying all the time, I'm not saying many times, but occasionally they can get a little testy because we're not doing that next step, for, next, next step, especially in certain circumstances where they think it should just be done for free. So my question to you is, have you had that kind of pushback? Well, you just didn't quite do enough. I'm expecting more from you, even though I know that all you're doing is providing legal information. So courtroom five doesn't provide uh, legal services at all. Uh, we don't get into those questions at all. Uh, now, you know, I can tell you whether some of the lawyers uh, serving our, mm-hmm. our customers do, but again, they provide limited scope services. And the value of our platform is yeah. that users are able to do all of the work of litigation themselves. Something gets a little complicated or mm-hmm. you know, we have uh, some users who don't feel they read and write very well. And so, right. Like, you know, you may be able to find the case law, but can you understand it? I mean, right. And articulate it. Exactly. Can you write the document that mm-hmm. you need legal filing? Right. And so we have, um, in some instances, lawyers who can help them uh, do that. But again, the value of our platform is that this user, in attempting to do the work and understanding the work that's required, is able to specify the work they want a lawyer to do mm-hmm. a little bit differently from somebody coming off the street into that lawyer's office. And so, and so lawyers very rarely get, and this is by design on our platform, mm-hmm. well, why didn't you do X, Y, and Z? Because the user has specified, the client has specified in a very sophisticated way what they want the lawyer to do. So when a lawyer takes that work on, they do it or don't do it, right? But there's no question about, well, I thought you were going to do something else, or I need you to do the next step. When our customer wants the lawyer to do the next step, they pay for a separate engagement, right? For right, that. right, right. But, you know, it's, so it's kind of funny. So now I'm going to take it from the other side. Have any attorneys come back to say, hey, you know, I'm getting these calls from, you know, users who are like, 
well, I could do this myself. Why should I be paying you so much? Or, you know, I could have done it this way. Why did you do it that way? Has there been no kind of pushback or that, those, that tug of war? We don't uh, get involved in the communications between, uh, you know, the users and the client, other than to right, right. But I mean, have attorneys ever come back and commented? I, no. You know, I'm no. just, I'm just, I'm just curious. So, you know, I'd be, I'd be curious to hear how, you know, some of those future relationships go. I mean, because you know, in any field of law, you're always going to have occasionally. Uh, I'm not saying consistently, but occasionally, you're going to have clients who have unexpected, unrealistic expectations, or they think they can do it themselves, or they think they can do it better, yet keep forgetting that there's a reason why you reached out to the attorney, because you don't quite understand the process, or you can't make the argument, or you can't gather the, the information amongst a whole bunch of other stuff. So I was just kind of curious if you had any feedback. We, we haven't had that yet. Again, we're still early in the process. Right. Who knows? But, you know, it's important to understand how these requests get served up to a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know, our our client, our customers aren't walking into a lawyer's office with a cardboard box of filings and saying, you know, here's here's the here's the file. Uh, here's my narrative of what happened. Tell me what to do. That's something lawyers do outside of courtroom five. You want to take that kind of client. That's on you. Our customers are mm-hmm. coming to a lawyer saying, look, I've been sued. Uh, here's the claim. I understand the elements of that claim. I, I am working on a motion to dismiss that claim. I, here's the facts as I see them that have been pled and how they do or don't support those elements. I think there's an argument that, uh, you know, the stated facts, the alleged facts don't support the claim. So I want to move to dismiss on those grounds. I've looked at some case law that says, okay, I might win on this. Here it is. It's bookmarked in my account. I, right. I, you know, you're the lawyer. You tell me if it's right. Okay. But, but here's what I need done. Can you help me complete this right. To dismiss and argue that in a way that might be most persuasive. That's a different, that is a different type of unbundled service client than you might have coming in off the street. And so that client, it doesn't have an opportunity to complain, oh, you didn't do, right? What'd you do? Leave off a comma where there should have been, right? Okay. You know, it's it's that sort of of complaint. So we haven't had yet uh, those sorts of concerns. Oh, you didn't do it the way I wanted you to, because our client, our customers, uh, as a client for that lawyer, tell the lawyer exactly what to do. Or what they want. Exactly. Exactly. Excellent. It's up Excellent. to the lawyer whether they take that that on, but they are they are reviewing uh, and considering a request that is very narrowly defined. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Sonia, I really appreciate you being on and sharing all of this. Where can people find you? We're at courtroom5.com. Uh, that's the number five, although it doesn't matter. If you spell it out, you'll get to the same place. Well, why five? Well, my co-founder and I were brainstorming what to name this uh, mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, we had gotten some uh, traction just in terms of an early product and wanted to give it a name. Uh, we were listening to music in the background and my co-founder, Deborah, said, you know, we could call this courtroom anything. And in the background was Looney's I Got Five on it. Uh, it's a hip hop song about guys trying to buy a bag of weed and one only has five <laughs> bucks he's willing to put into it. And so we looked at each other and just said, let's put five on it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And again, I appreciate <laughs> you being on and thank you for being a guest today. I love it. Thank you so much, Michael. Really. You have a great day.
Thank you for joining me on this episode of the TechSavvyLawyer.page podcast. Our next episode will be posted in about two weeks. If you have any ideas about a future episode, please contact me at michaeldj at the TechSavvyLawyer.page. Have a great day and happy luring.